Welcome back to the Bible Brush Up podcast. We are in our second episode of our new Bible reading plan, which is the 90 Days of Promise. And we're tracking along with the promises that God had made to Moses and the Israelites while they were wandering in the wilderness and all that was uh, given to them in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And after completing that, we now see how God is fulfilling those promises, which is why we are calling this 90 Days of Promise. And so in Joshua, in our Bible reading plan, we see that they uh, have their first initial battle with the people of Jericho. It is a fortified city. It has great walls that surround it. Uh, the Israelites are out of their, uh, their familiar territory. They are wandering in this new place that they've never been to before, and they are dependent upon the Ark of the Covenant going before them to lead them in the right direction. And God gives them very specific instructions about how to take down Jericho, uh, because this would not be an easy task for a bunch of uh, people just wandering in the wilderness, and they don't have the advanced military equipment that a uh, fortified city like this would have. And so they come to Jericho with instructions not to climb the walls or burn the walls or anything like that, but simply to walk around the walls. Uh, so once again, we see God really doing the work here because this is not the strategy that any human military leader would come up with is just to walk around and then blow trumpets. But nonetheless, God brings the walls down. The Israelites have access to the city and they destroy everybody except Rahab and her family who had hidden the spies of Israel uh, earlier on. And those promises were made for Rahab, and she was secured and provided for. She becomes a part of the people of God. It even becomes a, a member of the lineage of Christ uh, later on as we read the genealogy of Jesus in the New Testament. Rahab appears there. So this is very significant. Um, but what I would like to turn our attention to today is how listening to God in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant resulted in a favorable outcome and how not listening to God would result in an unfavorable outcome. And this goes back to what we learned in the Torah as we were reading through Deuteronomy and some of the other books. God made it very clear for those who were coming into his land that he had given them that if they honored him and if they lived up to the commandments and if they did what God said, then things would go well for them. They would have life. They would receive blessings. But if they did not listen to God and they did not hearken to his voice, they would receive a curse and they would receive death. And this initially is seen in the story of Ai. I believe the actual pronunciation is something more like I, but I'm going to call it AI just so we can understand what I'm speaking of. I'm talking about this little village that was small in comparison to Jericho. It wasn't fortified like Jericho was fortified. It wasn't as intimidating as Jericho was. And so when they're ready to attack this little village, they actually reduce the number of soldiers that are going to be engaged in battle. And they only take a couple of thousand to go and to do the job because they think that's all they need. And it probably would be. But once again, this is from a human standpoint. It's not taking into account 
uh, God being the actual warrior here. And an interesting thing is in the battle of Jericho, they were given specific instructions from God. So God is giving the commands of how to win the battle. But when it comes to AI, they have no communication with God whatsoever. There are at least nothing's recorded here in Joshua. They just come up with a plan. They say, well, that went well in Jericho, so let's do it again. Let's just go down here. But they did not consult God. And had they consulted God, they would have probably received information that was very important. And the information being that they had already, as a, a country, violated God's stipulations. And when you violate God's stipulations, you violate his covenant, then the outcome will be curse and death. And so that's exactly what happens. They go off to battle. They don't even know that they've violated God's stipulations and covenant because they didn't ask. And so they go off to battle thinking they're going to win, and they actually lose. And 36 people are killed in that battle. And unfortunately, the 36 people, we don't exactly know uh, their relationship with Achan, the one who had stole and taken some of the goods in Jericho that he was supposed to devote to destruction. Um, but we're just going to assume they had no close correlation with him. They are just innocent victims of Achan's sin. And sin does that. Sin affects people that aren't directly tied to sin and something we need to understand. Our sin never just hurts ourselves. Uh, it, it is something that spreads and has a far-reaching influence far beyond what we can even see and predict. And so be careful when you come to um, choices of morality and ethics because we are not just affecting ourselves, but we affect our families, we affect our church, we affect our community, uh, and we may have far-reaching effects at the other side of the planet that we're not even aware of, um, but we never just affect ourselves. And so these 36 men are now dead as somebody needs to pay for this, which is why the the judgment and punishment for Achan is so severe. Um, but this is what Achan and the rest of the Israelites had agreed to beforehand. They had agreed to the covenant stipulations. They had agreed that if you take a man's life, that your life will be taken. And in a sense, that's exactly what Achan did. He took 36 men's life by sinning, and therefore he has to pay. And um, it seems that maybe his family also was involved in this and had knowledge of this. Uh, and, and if not, then it's just the consequence that his whole family uh, suffers along with him because of his sin, which once again shows that you don't just affect yourself with your sin. And so Achan is stoned to death, and they're burned as a result of this terrible sin that caused 36 other families to be affected through death. And it uh, completely demoralized Israel, and their hearts melted. They were <laughs> no longer as pumped up about the battles ahead, because they're just getting started. If you've read ahead of the reading schedule, you see that it's one battle after another. There are dozens and dozens of countries that have to be devoted to destruction, and so the battle is just getting started. The, the wars are just beginning, and they've already suffered loss, so this really affects them. Um, but once 
Aiken's sin is dealt with, now they're back on track, and now God gives instruction of how they're going to destroy AI. And so now that they've consulted with God, things are going to work out good for them. And, and so they begin a series of fights that um, are going to show you that God is fighting for Israel. And in fact, in chapter 10, verse 42, it lays out this long string of battles that were won by Israel. And it says, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. It's not their own strength. It's not their own military prowess. It's simply the fact that God is fighting for them. And if God's not fighting for them, if they disobey God, then they're going to lose, as is seen in that um, battle after Achan's sin. And this is how the covenant of God works. This is us looking back at everything that was communicated to Moses and to the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness and as they received the Ten Commandments, and now it's actually being implemented. So obeying equals health. Obeying equals blessing. Obeying equals um, success and prosperity. And, and this is all for the covenant of Israel in the Old Testament. Now, there are some who try to take these uh, correlations and apply them to the New Testament church, and you can't do that. Uh, we are under a different covenant, and nowhere does it say that if you honor God and you obey God, then you will have land, and you will have uh, health, and you will have um, multiple children, and you will have, you know, there, there are some who try to say that, and it's called the prosperity gospel, uh, which basically says if you honor God, he'll honor you, and your life will look great. Um, but things change a little bit. We're not going to talk about that too much today, but I, that's just an extra nugget there to be aware of, that these promises and this success that is being achieved by Joshua and the Israelites in the Old Testament is directly tied to the covenant that they were in. And we are not in that covenant. If we were in that covenant, then we could not eat shrimp and catfish, and there would be so many other things that we could not do that we are at liberty to do. Um, and that's the problem with the prosperity gospels. They take some of that covenant uh, and carry it over to the New Testament and leave the things that they don't want to do behind in their teaching. Um, but nonetheless, we'll, we'll uh, no longer digress, and we'll pick back up with Joshua and his people as they have these military victories. When we get to Joshua chapter 9, we come across a group of people who mirror the response of Rahab to the Israelites. Rahab is a lady who lives as one of these foreign nations who are supposed to be destroyed. Um, but because of her faithfulness, she wants to become a part of the people of God. And the Gibeonites are also a group of people who recognize the power of Israel. They recognize that the God of Israel is on their side and that he is going uh, to destroy every single one of these villages and, and kingdoms that exist in Canaan. And so they come up with this crafty idea of how to become a part of the people of God. They're going to enter in as servants and they're going to be slaves, but they would rather be servants and slaves than to be dead. 
And so they come up with a crafty scheme and they end up deceiving the Israelites here in chapter 9 by saying that they were not a part of Canaan, that they had actually traveled from afar and they were just passing through. And here's the problem, though. These people should have been destroyed. But in verse 14, it says, So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. This is similar to Ai. They should have asked counsel from the Lord. And then God could have spoken to them, and he could have given them instruction. But here they just go on their own. And therefore, they get in this dicey situation where they want to obey God, but now they've entered into a covenant with these people. And so if you kill them, you've disobeyed God because you didn't live up to your covenant. And if you don't kill them, you've disobeyed God because God said to kill everybody that was living in the land. Uh, but nonetheless, the Gibeonites seem to be incorporated and assimilated into the nation of Israel and even become a part of those who help rebuild the temple after the exile. So they they really become a permanent part of Israel themselves. Uh, but it's just another reminder that Israel sometime acted without consulting God. And maybe we do this as well. We become guilty of just picking the thing that seems most obvious from our human uh, reasoning and our human perspective when we need to rather consult God on big decisions and consult God, especially in areas um, that are tethered and tied to God's blessing and God's uh, promises. And that's that's really what's going on here. These were people in the land, and even Joshua seems to hint at and, and suspect that maybe they were inhabitants of this land, but no one really stopped to ask God, and so things didn't go as smoothly as what they should. Um, who knows what God would have said, um, but I, one of the things that I think comes across here with the story of Rahab and the story of the Gibeonites is that there was a way to avoid annihilation, and that's becoming Israelites. You didn't have to remain a separate entity. You could have been circumcised and have been grafted into Israel. You could have taken on their customs and their culture and become a part of the Israelite nation. Uh, and if you did that, then you would be safe. And that's what happens with Rahab. That's what happens with the Gibeonites. Um, but it didn't necessarily need all the trickery and the lies and the deceit. And certainly the Israelites were at fault for not inquiring about God. But nonetheless, the Gibeonites become a part of Israel's history, and they um, serve in both a secular and a religious capacity going forward as uh, servants in Israel. Um, but all of this is tied to the grand narrative of the military victory of the Israelite people as God fights for them. And so the next several chapters, just enjoy the victory that you read as the Israelites conquer one king after another. King upon king upon king falls to the sword of the Israelites because God is on their side and God is fighting for them. And he will continue to give them success as long as they inquire of him what they're to do and as long as they uphold their end of the covenant agreement of God. We're going to stop here for today, but we will see you next time on the Bible Brush Up Podcast.